I'm your host, Stephen Gutteridge, and welcome to Mid-South Moments. We welcome back friends to the show, Phil Stigal and Terry Canova. How are you doing today, Phil? Warmer than I have been. Warmer, absolutely. How are you, Terry? We are wonderful. Wonderful. Good. So, Phil, tell me what's been happening there. I mean, I really appreciate you, you coming on with all the crazy weather, but you've had a bit of a, a bit of a nightmare over the last week or so. Can you tell me all about it? You know, it was a, a, one of the worst winter winter conditions we've ever had. And normally in Oklahoma, if you get a snow or an ice, we'll often get ice storms and not much snow. Hmm. It's two or three days till it's all melted off and it's done. We'll, we'll get a night of over degree freezing temperatures for a night or two. Um, the whole area of the Texas, Oklahoma, um, Kansas, some of the other states here, had a time I, I've been converting Fahrenheit to Celsius. So I oh, do you know what? It's funny. I've literally okay. Googled that because you're about to give it to me in Fahrenheit. So thank you. I appreciate so it. I'm going to give it to you in Celsius. Yeah. We just you. had 200, 293 straight hours of being below zero degrees Celsius. Wow. That's incredible. Some of that was 15, negative 15 to minus 20 degrees Celsius for 10, 12, 15 hours on a row. It brought down the power grid, Texas, wow. of course, in Oklahoma. Um, for example, in, in my home here, um, a couple of years back, we built a, a two-story brick home. Um, nice house, you know, be the nicest house I ever lived in. We got three central heat and air units. Mm. The heating units all froze up. Oh, wow. They can't work. Uh, so we're sitting around electric space heaters. We'll put a, a electric space heater in the smallest room of the house and everybody's kind of getting around it. Then your electric starts going off. We also had to conserve electricity. Entire cities were shutting down power on purpose for a couple hours at a time. That's crazy. They would just, because if it ever ran out, they wouldn't be able to get it kick started. So um, you, we literally had hundreds of people in this area die oh, from the cold. In, in some of the richest neighborhoods in the world, people are literally freezing to death freezing. in their beds overnight. I mean, yeah. that, that is Arctic Circle sort of stuff. At sort right. Of minus That's 10, what minus it is, isn't it, really? And, and I guess yeah, these buildings um, are just not designed for that sort of extreme temperatures, I suppose. Of, you get down to Houston, some of those areas, most, a lot of their pipes are in the in the attic or run up their second floors, they froze yeah. and, and burst. And now you've got water pouring in. And I don't know if you've seen any of the news stories, but just uh, uh, big ice sculptures in people's houses from the, from the broken pipes. And Houston, I would have thought, I mean, I, I've been to Houston. It was, it was, I mean, hotter than it ever gets here the whole year round in March. So I, I dread to think what it's like in the summer, but I guess a place like that is probably not used to, these sort of extreme the worst conditions of, at all. Worst of, some of those conditions are much, much worse in, in Dallas and mm. in Fort Worth in those areas where they lost a lot more power than we did. Yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah. So, but we had a, you know, normal, a normal snow around here when we used to get snow be four or five or six inches would be a yeah. lot of snow. Yeah. In uh, over a three day period, we got, you know, 24 inches of snow. Um, you know, I drive a very large pickup truck with a large wheelbase and, and there's just no, you're not going anywhere. No, you know, that's, that's not that system. And we, we, yeah. I think it was the same weather system, but we, we, I mean, we, we can't deal with anything here at all. If we get you know, two or three inches, we're shut down for basically a week. And we sure. got um, probably about three or four inches a uh, week before last. Um, but that, that was, you know, fairly bad for us. But yeah, it's just, um, you yeah, know, cool. I'm, I'm, I said things a bit better there today, weather wise, as we talk on yeah, Sunday, uh, unfortunately, and Tuesday. We, yeah. We got above, we got above freezing yesterday. Good. So, yeah. Everything's stalling out, and fortunately, I didn't have any broken pipes that we know of at our house. Uh, we've yes. got one heater that's still not kicking on; seems to be damaged. But uh, don't I mean, when it's fifty degrees now, you know, it seems warm and balmy. You know, it's like a spring day. I'm ready to go play golf now. Well, absolutely. Yeah, we can't. We're not allowed to play golf here legally at the moment. Or you'd actually, you yeah. can't. You just can't play because all the golf clubs are shut. But uh, tomorrow, apparently. We've got our roadmap out of lockdown. So apparently, maybe in about a month's time, I might be able to play golf again. But it was 10 degrees. I don't know. It's about 13 or 14 degrees Fahrenheit here today. So that's probably mid 50s. And we went out for a walk and it was absolutely lovely. So it's like yeah. spring is, is about to sprung kind of thing. Well, the problem here on the plains, uh, the great Midwest here, is the wind's constantly blowing. So while I was quoting to you actual temps, mm. you know, actual temperatures below zero vector pipes the wind chill on your skin can be, you know, it can be deadly if, if 
yeah. when you're we're talking minus 40 minus 50 minus oh. 60 degrees wind chill at times i was talking actual temps but when you factor in the oklahoma wind it can be it can be people can lose fingers and toes if they get uh in a little wreck and their car doesn't work yeah yeah you know scary stuff yeah scary stuff i'm glad things are things are on the up um, Terry, we're, so doing, what, we're doing great good 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 stuff good so so tell me about what's um i know there's some ex- exciting things in your world going on at the moment so what have you been up to today and what have you got over the next sort of week or so coming up i, I don't even want to talk about it good lord what phil's going through <laughs> holy man. I need you know, to hear it, Terry. You're doing good. You're doing good. Oh, my goodness. Uh, no, you know, it's been cold here, but but we've been really blessed. Uh, you know, nothing like those guys are facing uh, over there. Uh, but for us, the, the exciting part that you guys are alluding to, uh, I'm a high school basketball coach. And um, I've coached for 30 years, and I've coached at a college level, high school level, and I, I coach high school girls now. I switched to, to women uh, uh, you know, uh, many years ago to, to, to be a women's college coach. And so I've kind of been on the women's side now for the last, you know, 20, 25 years. Mm. Well, anyway, uh, the high school team I've got, uh, we are, we are in the middle of the playoffs and, um, you know, uh, we were, we were, I would, I would classify us as a good team, not great Mm. as a good, but we really got hot, at the right time. And, and uh, because of our finish, we had to go play our first playoff game on the road. Uh, We went on the road and beat, uh, you know, we have the top 10 rankings, you know, like they do everywhere. Uh, We went on the road and beat the number seven team on the road at their, in their gym. Um, So then because the bracket kind of worked in our favor, then we got to host the number one team in the state of Alabama and we beat them. Wow. And okay, so, right. yeah. And, and so now we're in, uh, you know, what we call the elite eight, you know, there's eight teams to go. So, uh, you know, we're one team away from the final four, a um, uh, one win away from the final four. Uh, we'll go up Tuesday night to play in Montgomery, Alabama. That'll be Tuesday. Uh, if we take care of business, then we'll play in the state semifinals on Saturday and then a state championship on Thursday. So uh, fingers crossed. Yeah. yeah, Exciting time for us. I've personally never been part of a state championship team. Our team here, uh, we've been, you know, we've been pretty successful getting to the sweet 16. We've, we've won, we've been nine of the last 11 years to sweet 16. We've been to the elite eight about seven times, been to the final four twice, but have not gotten past the final four. So we're optimistic and, and uh, you know, trying, trying to work hard and get, get ready to try to win a championship. What is what is the, this sort of entail at this at this sort of time? Is this do you do you get some some stuff on the opposing team, or is it just about kind of making the, your team as strong as they can be going into the to these games? We we do put a lot of a lot of time in scouting. Uh, w- one of the things that uh, th- that we do, and it, and it's really common in women's college basketball, is you have a male practice squad to practice against. So, so what we do is one of our uh, coaches here, he puts together a boys team. Mm. And so we give him some of the, uh, some of the scouting plays that we'll see. Uh, and, and he kind of helps us with that. So it allows us, you know, to, to compete kind of against a little higher level athlete, you know, as, as we, as we prepare for that. Uh, yeah. You know, so so it's uh so that's what we did today. We brought the boys in and we went against them for about an hour and worked on great. some of the things. Yeah, that's great. So it's a big going to be a big week. So the first one's Tuesday. It's Tuesday, Tuesday Thursday, and then the following Monday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday Saturday. Thursday. Oh, well, finger, fingers caught. I'll be keeping everything. I know the last time we spoke about sporting, perhaps we shouldn't bring it up. So perhaps hopefully <laughs> this time is going to be some some better luck. Hopefully, so yeah, think, fingers crossed. But yeah, we'll uh, we'll certainly be thinking of you, Terry, and keeping out. Yeah, fingers crossed. I think what you said about the um, about the, the the team kind of thing is is it's always quite nice when whether you're supporting a team or you know part of a team that is not necessarily the one that's fancied to win it. You're coming from like an underdog position and that uh, for somehow somehow those victories always feel like the 
the best ones, I think. So, yeah, fingers crossed. This is uh, a, a, yeah. a good fortune in this run. Our, our team was obviously ecstatic, and, mm. and our players were ecstatic. The team we played, uh, tremendous tradition. They, uh, in the last four years, they've been to two Sweet 16s. They've been to a state championship as a runner-up and as the champion. And so they, they were really good. One other interesting uh, statistic from our game um, we have a post player, and she's about right at 6'2", mm. and, and she's a good-sized female post player. The team we played had one of, the, one of their girls was 6'6", 285. Whoa. <laughs> what, what are they feeding her on? Crikey. 6'6", 285, and then their other post player was 6'2", 235. So uh, – you know, you, you talk about David and Goliath matchup. Uh, I, I'll shoot you both uh, uh, when we get done. I'll shoot you both a picture. It's our six-two girl standing next to their six-six girl. It's 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 a, I mean, just a crazy. Six, what are these under kind of under 18s? Is that the, is that the sort of high school limit kind this, of thing? Yeah. This young lady is a sophomore in high school, so wow. she might about fifteen. She must be one wow. of the like legitimately one of the tallest fifteen-year-old girls in the world. I imagine she must be like the high one of the top percentiles in terms of height because that's just un you know that's, that's unbelievable. I mean, I'm six four and I think yeah. I'm tall, though I'm getting shorter with every year of youth that come by. When I still play, well, I haven't played soccer for now for a year actually because of the lockdown stuff. But the guys that we play with are always ten years younger than me or more, and they're all really tall now. But that is very tall for a girl, isn't it? So. Yeah, yeah, wow, incredible, incredible. So yeah, everything, everything massively crossed Terry for you going forward. And um, uh -huh. we have to, we have to touch on now some, some sort of sad news because we, we messaged and stuff since this, uh, this, this, um, this unfortunately happened. But Butch Reed obviously passed away on, uh, on February the fifth, and this is the first time I've recorded a show after this happened. So I want to talk to both of you about some of your fondest memories of Butch. Terry, I know you had a great sighting of him uh, back at a Superdome show that we, we may have talked about on air, but or not, but do go ahead and um, sort of share that, that one of Butch, because it is a great one. Yeah, you, you know, very, very sad here in the passing of Butch Reed. You know, we, we lose, unfortunately, we lose wrestlers all the time. Yeah. And, you know, we're all getting older. And, of course, the wrestlers from our heydays, you know, are old anyway. But, you know, Butch wasn't that old. Uh, but, but, yeah, my coolest Butch Reed story uh, we're, uh, it's a Superdome extravaganza in New Orleans. Don't remember what year, maybe 84, 85, most likely. And, uh, Butch Reed is going to wrestle Ric Flair in the Superdome. Mm. And so we, we pull up to the Superdome parking garage and, and park our cars and, and we're walking towards the, the entrance and lo and behold, we see, I guess, parked probably in the, in vicinity of where we parked we see butch reed walking to the dome he had a lady on each arm mm -hmm. and the north american title uh over his shoulder and so uh, again i guess it was kind of you know because he was fighting rick flair that night he was kind of stealing his gimmick yes you know he, yeah. he had, had a lady on each arm and so it was just the coolest sight you can ever I don't even remember if we said anything or, you know, just kids. We just kind of look, you know, but, uh, you know, just just the coolest thing ever to see Butch Reed uh, arm in arm with two two honeys head, heading for his match against Ric Flair. Absolutely. So you don't remember if that was a 60 minute draw, do you, by chance, that, that match <laughs> with Ric Flair? Actually, I don't. I don't remember. So I think I think that was uh, August tenth, nineteen eighty five, I believe, at the Superdome. Um, but I, I'm just scrolling through because I know he had a number of matches with Ric Flair, especially around this time. But I think I think that was the only Superdome one, I believe. Uh, but yeah, so so what? Uh, uh, Joe, I'm sure we've probably talked about this before, but um, Dave Meltzer, um, he his first five though he gave his rating afterwards, I should explain this better, but his first five-star match rating ever um, was a match he saw between Ric Flair and Butchery that wasn't on tape, that was somewhere in Florida. His grandparents lived in Florida, so he'd visit and watch a lot of Florida wrestling. So though he, he wasn't doing the newsletter at that point, when he became familiar with the system and stuff with, with other people had used, that was the first one he ever gave to him. And he was talking the other day about what a super athlete Reed was um, you know, back then and, and, and prior to that when he was working in Florida, obviously Mid-South as well. But I think by around this time and, and more into the WWF run, I think 
um, obviously hard schedule and, and maybe some injuries. I think he came back from a knee injury around this time super quickly, didn't he? Which was mentioned on television. But yeah, just to, just to, I mean, I've been so impressed with Breed and his his athleticism, having only really seen snippets of his WF stuff. How about you, Phil? What are some of your your sort of memories of uh, Butch Reed? Well, um, it's funny what you all just mentioned. I I'm remembering a, a promo that it may have been to to that match, and I'll tell you why. But you know, obviously going to a lot of the matches at uh, here in Oklahoma City, I saw Butch Reed in person quite a few times. And now looking back on who I liked, you know, as, as, a, as a child and as a youngster, mainly the good guys. But if there were bad guys that I, that I liked, it'd be something that could kind of go back and forth, like a yeah. Ric Flair, like a Mr. Wrestling number two, like yeah. a Ted DiBiase. Ted DiBiase, a lot of <clears throat> heel, but sometimes he was the crowd favorite too, you know. So, but uh, obviously Butch Reed is one of those. And how, I don't want to call it untimely or, or coincidental that, you know, you started this podcast now over a year ago, mm. and the week we get to the week that he dies, he's the main character right now yeah. in Mid-South. Yeah. I mean, he's the biggest thing going in Mid-South and one of the biggest promotions at that time. Yeah. Um, so my, my memory is, is a promo that started with Ric Flair, and he called out Butch Reed. I remember it because, you know, there's some things that happen in, in wrestling that you'll always, may not seen it for 30, 40 years, but whether it's the person was your favorite or whatever happened, you know, nobody will ever forget mankind getting thrown off the, the, the cell. Right. Yeah. I mean, because it's so dramatic and so big, as we talked about before, some of my favorite wrestlers were Ric Flair and the Von Erics. Right. Yeah. And then anybody to do with mid South at this time, we're just starting to get wrestling from other uh, markets, but still when I go to a relative's house across the state, I'll pick up the TV guide and I'll look for anything that says championship wrestling. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tune in and I don't know who it is at home. I'm getting W CCW mid South and Georgia championship. That's mm -hmm. about all we get. When I travel to come friends, uh, neighbor's house, relatives house. I mean, relatives up in Tulsa, or whatever I find it. I turn on a channel and there's Gordon Soley with Ric Flair, mm -hmm. but I don't recognize the set. Uh, okay, I did yeah. not know it. I did not know at the time that he that Gordon Soley was also doing championship wrestling for Florida. Mm. Never seen it. Did not know. Okay. Rick Flair's coming out there. He's in his fabulous three-piece laser shoot, you know, open collar, big butterfly tie. He's got the woman, you know, he was uh back then, I'm thinking this is around 79 or 80. Uh, maybe a little after, but I think it's about 1979 or 1980. And he was notorious for having an actual uh, Playboy Playmate or Penthouse Pet with him. And and sometimes they put their name out there. He's got one of these ladies with him. He has her give Gordon Soley a kiss on the cheek, right? He's doing his Ric Flair thing. But he's got the, the vest and the jacket and the suit. Well, he starts calling out Butch Reed. He says, a lot of people think, but he's calling him Bruce because it's so early in his career. He's still ah, Bruce. Still Bruce. Reed. Yeah. Yeah. I believe this is probably the first time I ever saw Butch Reed. So he's calling him out. Well, naturally, Bruce, Butch Reed comes out and and they're across the, the interview desk there. And he says, listen, you'll never get to me because if you're ever going to get to me, you got to get through one of those Von Erics. And he points to the ring and lo and behold, here's David and Carrie mm. Von Eric in the ring i'm like i'm lit up this is yeah. the best day of my life i've never <laughs> had the von erics and rick flair and gordon Soley all together at the same time and here comes butch reed so now we know obviously they're given you know depending on when it when a when the new giant comes out kind of like we'll see in one of these episodes how quickly he squashes somebody how big mm -hmm. a push he's fixing to get flair reaches across the desk and slaps butch reed across the face and then he immediately grabs his female and puts him between him and, and Butch, right? <laughs> so Butch is trying to get to him. And as Rick turns to run off, he grabs Rick Flair by the jacket and throws him. Flair tries to run. And he goes towards the ring. And it actually looks like the Von Erics are trying to help him get in. They're pulling and getting him in the ring. Because the Von Erics were the heels first. in Florida, weren't they? Is that, is that right? They were, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did yeah. not yeah. know that. They yeah. were. They were. So they're trying to help him. Well... He's grabbing Rick 
by the clothes, this is the first time out of many I saw Rick's clothes get completely shredded <laughs> off. As they're pulling him in and he's pulling him out, I mean, the pants rip, the three-piece suit rips, you know, the vest, the jacket. He gets into the ring, and when Butch Reed dives in to get him, the Von Erichs come after him. He quickly disposes both of them out of the ring. He flips one over his shoulder, then knocks yeah. the other one out of the ring and goes after Flair, totally destroys him picks him up for the big gorilla slam, presses him completely over his head, and then tosses him outside onto the top of the Von Erichs. And that was the first Incredible. time I ever saw Butch Reed. So that was, I'll never forget that. Joel, I'm sure that clip is floating around uh, on Twitter over the last couple of weeks. Have you seen it, Terry? Yeah, I'm sure it's floating <laughs> yeah. around. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So I'm, I'm, does, I find that. Does it have a year? Does it have a year on it? Joe, I'll do some. I'll, I'll probably tomorrow. I'm, I'll, I'll have a search around and I'll try and find that and I'll tweet you because I'm, I'm sure I could find that because that was that I've seen. I saw that come up a couple of times when um, when the Butch Reed stuff was all out. So yeah, I'll find that for you. I, I, I think it's it's that it's certainly that early Florida run, isn't it for, for Reed? So it's right around eighty, one side or the other, isn't it? I think so. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll definitely so, go find that. No, but it's it's. Um, I feel I feel it's quite a privilege actually that I've been able to get back and see see this guy and he's in you know in his prime and this is a, as you say the, the the characters that are that can make the flip between heel and babyface I don't know if you've ever found this with some of your favourites but when they're heel you're always still kind of rooting for them but you've got this underlying want for them to go back babyface it's like I want the I want I'm still cheering this guy but I want all the crowd to cheer him as well I used to think that was Steve Austin and Randy Savage was a classic one he used to sure. flip and flip so much so sure. um, yeah but we're, thankfully we, you know we've got a number of years of prime butch ahead of us um, watching over Mid-South and UWF over the next few years what, until this uh, sort of promotion ceases to exist but um, Terry one more question before we get onto the show so you, you very recently tweeted out a very interesting picture of you and Mr. Greg the Hammer Valentine in a wrestling with you in a referee oh, outfit yeah. tell me about this so when I, uh, I moved to Mobile, um, it would have been, you know, I guess, 18 years ago. I moved here to coach at the University of South Alabama. It was, it was when I was still a women's college basketball coach. And we discovered a local wrestling promotion. And uh, they would wrestle, you know, one night a week. I don't remember if it was Monday night, Tuesday night, whatever it was. And we had a bunch of guys that would uh, – would, would go with us. people who worked at the university. And so we had four or five guys and it was cool because they would always bring in an older star. They would bring in bullet Bob Armstrong in, and they would bring in, um, uh, Hacksaw Duggan. Or they would bring, you know, they bring in all of these older guys that would, that would kind of tour around. And so, uh, the promoter would, he would, his gimmick was doing the clown. Okay. Yeah. Now, he, he wasn't one of the real doinks. Uh, as a matter of fact, on one of the podcasts, and Phil may have heard this, I don't remember if it was um, uh, uh, Bruce Pritchard's podcast or one of them, but they referred to a guy as Alabama doink. He was like yes. this counterfeit. Yeah. Yeah. He's this counterfeit doink to clown. Well, this Alabama doink was the guy who ran this called the Alabama Wrestling Federation. The guy has since passed away. But anyway, so we would come to the shows and I got to know the promoters and some of the wrestlers because it wasn't a large show. I mean, they might have 60, 100 people there, mm. you know, on a good night. So I got to know the guys and and everybody knew I was a huge Mid-South fan. Uh, as a matter of fact, my my email address is midsouthfan at yahoo.com. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, because I was this local kind of historian, mm. uh, because I was a college basketball coach, it, it kind of made me this very, very, very small celebrity. Mm. Well, I don't know how it came about, but Greg, De Greg DeHammer Valentine is going to come in town to wrestle Doink the Clown <laughs> for, the, for the AWF championship. And they asked me to be the special guest referee. That's incredible. Very cool. Very cool. <laughs> what I'm telling you guys, you know, I'm a huge football fan, as you know. Um, when I'm telling you as a wrestling fan, Mark, whatever you want to call me, to be in the locker room with Greg Valentine, 
and and of course Doink, I knew Doink, but to be in the to be in there with Greg Valentine, to be able to go over the finish with Greg Valentine, That's and nice, then to bring yeah. it was like playing catch with Joe Montana, uh, or, <laughs> or you know, uh, yeah. I re- I remember Doink uh, asking Valentine if uh, they wanted to talk about the match, and I remember Valentine goes, no, no, we'll 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 talk about it in the ring. Uh, you know, old school. Uh, basically, the finish was I was I was kind of a babyface referee, mm. and Doink was the heel. Valentine was the babyface, and so the finish was essentially Doink covers him up at some point, and I I give a I give a not a slow but not a fast count, mm. and then as it comes back around, Valentine rolls him up. I give the quick one two three. <laughs> Me and Valentine roll out the ring. I give him the title. Doink wants to come after me. And Valentine, <laughs> you know, he stands in between me and Doink. And, you know, but it, it was just so, so cool. It was it was one of That's the coolest great. experiences ever. Yeah. That's yeah. so great. Did you, did they give you any tips for, for like, because I, I can't remember speaking to you about this, but at the podcast at some point, I was talking about special refereeing. And I've, I said, if I had to do it, if I had to be a referee, I'd be consistently worried about getting in their way. So did they give you any tips around kind of what to do or to stay like stay stay away from them kind of thing? Well, it's interesting you ask because at the time I was a member of the Wrestling Classics message board. Hmm. There was a message board that we'd get on there and we'd talk about anything and everything. Well, there were a couple guys like James Beard, who's a, a former referee and still referees to some extent. There was a few of those guys. And I, I reached out to them on one of the threads and basically asked for, you know, some ideas and, and pointers as far as what to do. Hmm. And so probably, and I don't remember a lot of them, but, but one of the biggest ones was, I don't remember if it was the heel or the baby face, but always stay on their left. Ah, so okay, like, interesting. It's like kind of doing a dance around the ring, but always, and that was probably the biggest thing because you're right. You don't want to get in their way. Mm. Uh, I, I will tell you the, uh, you know, one of the coolest thing. And, and again, me being a, trying to be a perfectionist and being a coach, I really put a lot of thought and pride into doing well. Uh, the coolest compliment I got from that, that night, Percy Pringle uh, oh, yeah. was uh, Paul Barra was at that show. And he was a local guy. He was from Mobile and he would come to a lot yeah. of yeah. and and he was at that show. And I remember maybe a week later, or a couple weeks later, I, I spoke to him. I, we said hi. And I mentioned to him that, you know, that was the first time I'd ever been in a ring. And and he his comment to me was, I thought that was not real. And that, he didn't he used the wrestling term. He goes, Oh, I didn't know that was a shoot or something yeah, like yeah. that. But basically, he thought I had done it before, That's which I thought was the yeah. coolest compliment yep. I could ever. Get. Absolutely, that's fantastic. Yeah. Maybe there's maybe there's a second career in there, Terry. Perhaps as a, as a well, wrestling, wrestling referee as well. But then you got to take some bumps at some point. There's any problem, isn't it? That's the thing. <laughs> you know, the, the, the one sadistic thing I still have never done that I might consider is taking the blade. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow. Well, perhaps, perhaps we'll, perhaps we'll do something. We'll, we'll put that on pay-per-view at some point when we uh, an R-rated podcast. We won't end the show with that. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, I've never, I've, I've had a chance to be an official referee, uh, but I've never done a blade job. So maybe if we can get a big GoFundMe going, uh, we can pay <laughs> you. And, uh, wow. It would be the nichest <laughs> go fun me of all time, but it's uh, yeah, perhaps that's, perhaps that's something for the for the future. <laughs> right now, on with the show. We've got we've got um, Phil and Terry very kindly uh, said they're going to do this week and next week. So we've got a bumper session uh, with friends of the show. So we're on, on with what was uh, first aired on February the twenty third, nineteen sixty five. Why are the YouTube dates all wrong? That bothers me every single time I see them. I don't understand. But anyway, I've moaned about that enough in previous shows. Uh, we have jo- Jim Ross and Joel Watts at the desk both sporting Mid-South Wrestling Blazers and Joel with a checkered shirt and tie. 
Now, the checkered shirt look, I think, has been in and out of fashion probably twice in my sort of 20 years <laughs> plus of going out in the UK. Yeah. But I don't think we've ever had a time when it's been paired up with a tie in a kind of formal situation. So I wondered, if is that a thing with you, where you, you guys are, that someone would wear like a, I guess it's plaid, I suppose, or we would call it probably checkered, but with a tie, is that a thing over, over with you guys? I thought it was a bit of a controversial choice for Joel. Uh, I can remember uh, we had some funny... In, in the early 80s, we had some funny fashions that didn't last very long. Mm. We had these funny neckties that could be plaid, but they also were almost like knit and just square. Oh, yeah, we had those. There, <laughs> there were different combinations of, of shirts and jackets, but I don't think anybody ever accused Joel of being a top-notch dresser like we're fixing to see later in the show. No, no. Well, well, well exactly. You know, you, you got to keep in mind, he works with Boyd Pierce, so this is really tame. <laughs> Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right, I thought right. he's, uh, they've got the Mid-South jackets now, so they're, tr they're trying to sneak in a bit of personalization on their shirts, but I wasn't sure this was this was working for Joel. Those so Ross jackets, I don't, I'm sure those jackets were a in a direct response to what they started wearing like on Monday Night Football with Howard Cosell uh, and Frank yeah, Gifford. Okay. Those are the Monday Night Football jackets, absolutely. And I think, I'm not sure whether, whether this predated this, but Vince used to have a like a, a baby blue one with the, the WF logo on it, didn't it? So I, I, maybe that was later or prefer, before, but... Wild Roller Sports, ABC's Wild Roller Sports, they wore those jackets, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I wonder, I mean, I wonder if they, yeah, it's just an interesting one with those jackets because the Mid-South logo is huge on the pockets, aren't they? So I wonder if they, if someone actually just sewed them on a normal jacket or they actually had them made. Um, Ross runs through the card. We have Butch Reed versus Buddy Landell, the Dirty White Boys in action, plus Ted DiBiase's rematch with Hacksaw Jim Duggan in the best dress contest, which this time is going to be electronically monitored. And personally, I can't wait for this. Um, Iceman King Parsons and Terry Taylor also teaming up. And Watts gives us details of the main event, the Rock and Roll Express defending the tag team titles again versus the Guerreros. And this time the Guerreros have said they only want one referee. And the Rock and Roll Express, they don't care. And they've agreed to the match regardless. Um, we then got a recap of the Reed versus Kamala match, uh, which ended in a big schmoz last week, a heated multi-man brawl, um, which saw the debut of Steve Williams' new weapon, the apparently loaded arm cast basically this was um, and these big brawls seem to feature a little bit more they seem to feature a little bit more towards the end of 83 and 84 um, and this is the first time I've seen one for a long time but they're always exciting and I thought this really worked well with all of the the kind of ongoing feuds and heels and baby faces out there and um, Phil what did you think first of this uh, this recap from Reed and Kamala the previous week to me it looks like they put an awful lot of thought into these run-ins yeah they staggered him you know I think of the days of uh, WCW when I hear now wrestlers, Eric Bischoff could never figure out how to find an ending to a match. So just five guys would run in at the end yeah, and yeah. just start fighting. <laughs> you know, everybody hits the ring at the same time. The way this is staggered out is just brilliant to me with, you know, another big hitter coming in and then another big hitter coming in. And then you think, well, this has got to be the last one. And, and Steve, Dr. Death Williams comes in with the brace and you think that's going to be it. And then here comes Hacksaw Butch Reed with the, with the, you know, later. So I just thought it was brilliant the way they staggered this. And it was yeah, very exciting. Yeah, it, was, it really was. And the, and the crowd was at um, a free pitch. So I'm just looking off into the distance. One of my cats is currently cleaning herself in a very precarious position. And I expect <laughs> if you hear a... Uh, you hear a bit of a squawk in the mid in the minute. It's because she's fallen off a scratching pace. So I'll keep you posted on the developments on that. And um, Terry, what did you think of this recap from uh, from Reed and Kamala from the previous week? Well, the only thing, and you guys know how much I love Butch Reed, and mm. and uh, but the thing that stuck out more than anything else in this match was Reed was taking it very lightly on Kamala. Mm. He was not laying in those punches at all. So some of his punches looked really really soft and so it, it, it was a little bit and it's really uncharacteristic of the mid-south you know because yeah. it was hard and it was snug and very very believable uh reed had a, had a couple a couple little little uh little marshmallows he threw in there that they kind of kind of distracted me a little bit yeah, it's interesting. And we'll we'll talk about Kamala a bit more as um maybe in the second I think it's maybe in the second episode. But yeah, it'd be interesting to get some of your views on him because I've I've got very mixed thoughts on his this part of his run at the moment. Um so Boyd boy Pierce in ring in an incredible pur purple patterned crikey, it's too late for me. I can't get my words out. I need to go to bed. Boyd Pierce in the ring with an incredible purple patterned jacket. Now that is a hard sentence to say. 
and Landell is in there already. Reed then made his way out to a really good reaction. Um, and Joel said this feud has been brewing for a long time. So this is uh, Butch Reed versus um, Landell. And even when they were friends, they weren't the best of friends. And Landell would get under Butch Reed's skin. Um, so I really like this from Watts Jr. here, um, who is rapidly becoming one of my all-time favourite people in the history of pro wrestling. And also life, I think it's fair to say at this point as well. Good old Joel. Um, but then he let himself down after I've complimented him by saying he would like Reed to end Landell's career. Um, and really put him in his place. And I thought, come on, Joel, you've got to remain impartial here as a broadcast journalist. He also says that Reed may be a tough competitor, but he's a really good person at heart and has a lot of compassion for his fellow man. Um, I thought there was some nice action in this, particularly during Reed's comeback. And Reed hit a big flying clothesline and then his big flying spear for the win in 514. So Landell drops another match cleanly, but seems to be part of the course and he can always recover from these losses. And um, what did you make of this opener, Terry? Yeah, uh, Landell, I always liked Landell. He's, he's a wonderful, cowardly heel. Yes. You know, yeah. and, and, and you, you made the perfect point. He, he's so good. He's so good on the mic and he's so good as a cowardly heel. He can lose every week yeah. and still won't lose his heat. Yeah. So uh, he, he's good. He's good. Really good. What do you think of this one, Phil? Boy, yeah, I was watching earlier and, man, he could sell, you know, yeah. uh, not in a cheesy way. I mean, but, of course, Butch Reed on this is throwing in some of those more snug punches that yeah. Terry was talking about. I mean, it looks like he's hitting him up against the jaw and, you know, he sells it, but he doesn't oversell it. You know, yeah. he does a good job with it. Hey, do, do you think maybe Watts saw the, the cupcakes he was throwing last week and told him you better sell these or, or, or put them in a little harder? <laughs> the, the stories I've read about what Watts would tell him in the locker room, I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, yep. I wouldn't yeah, doubt big it. Time. So after the match, Ross threw to footage from a live event in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Joel Watts in the ring saying to the fans that you may have recently seen Butch Reed visiting the Tulsa boys' home. Joel is so good here, as you can feel he's out of his element, and it's just brilliantly awkward. Um, he has Ron from the Tulsa boys' home with him, and Ron has a present for Butch from all the kids to show their appreciation. The present is a blank... I've put a blank of wood. That's not right. A plank of wood with Butch Reed and the number one either painted or branded into it, I think. Um, that is back then that was a popular you would go to uh like the state fair mm. and they'd be somebody would have uh it, it burns it in it's it's kind of like a carving tool but it burns ah, yeah. it into the wood and so you'd have them make you some but then they'd sell you the tool ah, this nice. kid at the this kid at the tulsa boys home was probably learning to do woodwork ah, he was probably okay. learning how to do this kind of stuff and so for him that was something he made from himself to Butch Reed. That's probably something very special, that kid to give that. But he was learning how to, to carve into wood with a tool that burns into wood. Yeah, I thought this, this was really, really great. And, Ro and Reed follows up with a speech and he said he was inspired by the kids who were struggling, but he, who didn't lose faith. He gives his thanks for their support. And I just thought this was really good from Butch. Um, humble, understated, perfect babyface tone. Um, I just thought this was great. And um, Phil, any, any more follow-up on this, uh, this segment? Yeah, I've got a note I, I skipped on the last – on the last, Joel's still in the ring, so I can still talk about Joel. Yeah, Watts, yeah, right? of course. You mentioned about him disappointing you not being impartial when he said, I really like yeah. to see Butchery. Did you hear when, when the pin came in, did you hear him scream? Yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah! It wasn't quite a gee whiz, but it was close. Right, <laughs> he was over the top. You it's know? just brilliant. And so, he's, so here he's with Butch Reed in the ring again. He's probably really he, – uh, he's obviously a big fanboy of Butch Reed here. Yes, So yeah. But it's a good segment. It was a heartwarming segment. That it was, was great, I segment. thought. Yeah, really good. What did you think of this one, Terry? Same, same thing. I, I always thought, you know, those uh, public interest pieces like that uh, – you know, good guys doing good things outside of the ring, you know, kind of like make a wish like the WWE does now. Yeah. I mean, all those all those are good, particularly when now you, they trying to replace they still trying to replace Junkyard Dog. Yeah. They try to read the top baby face. So, you know, they got him showing him doing good things. Yeah. And I tell you what, I haven't noticed it down, but I liked the arena footage here and I thought, um, Though, you know, there was probably one side where there was a few empty seats, but it looked pretty full, which is great. And actually, it made me sort of think, well, actually, even more so that if I was there, like, this looks really, this looks really, like, all the, all the house lights were up. It looked really good. Like, I think that that is, um, that is something to be said about sort of house shows, especially when you've got the, I know it's not a studio, the Irish McNeil's Boy Club, but it's probably more akin to studio wrestling than 
big arena taping wrestling. It's, it's probably kind of in the middle, but I guess more towards the studio with the, I guess, what, what would that have held? 500 or so, the Irishman Hills Boys Club? I was noticing in this episode here, it, it kind of stood out when I was watching it. The crowd seems to be getting better. I think they brought in more seating or more yeah. stands. The, 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 right, the, the, the stadium seating has become much more. The second so, one looked, looked really packed, didn't it? I thought the one where yes. Kerry Von Eric was on, it looked really, really yes. busy in there, didn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so Dirty White Boys are up next against um, Dr. Tom Pritchard, known as Tommy Pritchard at this point, and Private Terry Daniels. Um, and Daniels, Daniels' uh, dress removal clock this week was 31 seconds before okay. the referee. Yeah, so go ahead. I've got a comment on this. So um, if you don't mind me taking just a minute here because yeah, it's kind ahead. of ironic. My normal routine is for an episode of your podcast that's coming out that I'm not on. Okay, mm. now, of course, I lived it back then, and I watched them a couple of times over the years. But before I listen to your podcast, when it comes out, before I listen to it, I'll watch the episode. Yes. Pull things out. Then listen to the podcast again as we, as you, or not what, but I'll have it on while you guys talk about it. So I'm about, I normally... I'm caught up and I'm eagerly waiting for the next podcast. I'll wait two, three days for the podcast. But because of electricity being out and, and I started a new job in December, I'm behind. I was about two podcasts behind before you asked me to do this one. And I like to be up to speed. So uh, I only got to watch each of these episodes. Okay, I'm behind. I didn't hear your most recent podcast. I'm behind that one. The one before that was Dan on the February 7th episode uh, where Daniel's, I'm watching it, and it just takes forever to take him being in the Army. The reason why being so meticulous with his outfit is because he's not Army, he's a Marine. Marine, yeah. And it's a different standard for the Marines, and that's why he was so – but it didn't work. It takes too long. That was my note from before. That just taking too long. So, but anyway, I'm, I'm a little behind. I have a question for you. Go on ahead. that episode, I have it. I'm a, did Dan see the comment I left in the YouTube? Video? No, did he, he didn't. Pick it up? He didn't. And I haven't okay. told him so we can do it again. So um, okay. I'll, let, I'll let you know what he's next. He's probably, probably about a month, but I'll let you know so we can, we can – oh, I think he might hear this now, though, might he? So, I mean, that, that's – therein lies the problem. We've done, we done it. Just, just if you've heard that, Dan, imagine you're being hypnotised. One, two, three, four. Forget the last 30 seconds and we'll, we'll move on. So, um, yeah, so we had um, – yeah, basically 30, 31 seconds with Daniels to remove his outfit – um, but there's a great opening with Pritchard in there, exchanging chops, really fast-paced chops with Len Denta. I thought uh, Tommy Pritchard looked great here. Um, and Joel drew comparisons between the Dirty White Boys and the Midnight Express, saying how they go out there on the attack from the start and are brutal in their offense. Um, Pritchard was attacked when running the ropes, was hit with a double Russian leg sweep, sweep and a Samoan drop by Denton, with the Dirty White Boys picking up the win in 3.47. I actually really like this. I thought Pritchard looked really strong. Um, Pritchard had predominantly been appearing in Portland prior to his comeback to Mid-South, where he'd been in action in 1982 and prior in 1979 under the moniker Tom Price. Um, in Portland, he'd even challenged NWA world champion Ric Flair. So clearly this guy was already somewhat highly thought of at age 25. Um, Terry, what did you think of this uh, Dirty White Boys and Pritchard and Daniels match? Well, I enjoyed it uh, and because I'll be honest, when back in the day, I did not like the Dirty White Boys at all. Mm. And uh, I, I love masks and I like them as the grapplers. Yeah, yeah. I, I want them to be the grapplers, not the Dirty White Boys. So I never really gave them their due. But, but watching this match, it, it, it was good. It was good. Yeah, I would have been quite happy if this, this had gone on a little bit longer. What did you think of this one, Phil? It was a very good, uh, believable match. You know, it just mm. looked like a real simulated, uh, you know, uh, they talk about, you know, it's a simulated fight. Well, this was a good wrestling match. Yeah. Uh, Pritchard, you know, the, they both got in, all four guys got in some good moves, and it just looked really good. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed and of course, uh, of course, three of these guys went on to have a great deal of success in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Yes, yeah, under yeah. Under Jim Cornette. Yeah. Know. Absolutely. So the graphic at the bottom of the screen going into break said it all. 
electronic monitoring of rematch best dressed man contest. Not the best constructed sentence of all time, but it didn't need to be. Ross was in ring for this after the break, and he said, this is what you've all been waiting for. Ted DiBiase was in ring in a great tux along with his baseball bat for protection. And Ross said that in his mind last week, there was a clear winner from the crowd vote, but Mr. DiBiase had requested a rematch. This time, it's going to be electronically monitored in a television truck with monitors at ringside, but the wrestling fans are still going to be deeply involved in the decision. And then Ross throws to Joel Watt standing outside the truck, and we have picture in picture. I nearly lost my mind when this, this, this flipped up. Unbelievable. Picture in picture, right? Yeah. See what I got written on this note? Picture, picture in picture. picture. I'm so impressed. Incredible. <laughs> this was incredible. Joel says he's in front of the KTBS mobile unit truck. Director Oral Link and John Stokely, the audio man, are monitoring the electronic volume unit meter. And Joel hopes we have a clear-cut decision in this contest. And I think we're all hoping for that as well, Joel. Ross asked Ted if the situation meets his approval, but he doesn't like the bat being out there. Ted says that if Duncan comes out with a weapon, he will put his bat. Uh, he'll put it down. Uh, I've got that wrong. Basically, Ted says that if Duggan comes out without a weapon, he'll put the bat down. There you go. This is a foolproof system for deciding the winner and the chips will land where they may. So Duggan is back out in his white tuxedo and gets the sort of search people would do at the Blue Orchid nightclub in Croydon back in 1999. Um, so a full body search, checking for anything there as, as he comes in the room. So Ross asks the crowd's attention, explains the sound the crowd makes is being monitored in the truck. He says that booze register as loud as cheers. He suggests the crowd should make the most noise for the person who they think is the best dressed. And for the person who is not, they should stay quiet. Now, I'm probably underplaying this, but Jim Ross explains this like this is like a legitimate, serious sporting competition. And I, he does it brilliantly. Jim Ross is superb in this role here. It's so, so good. Um, Ross asks them then to, to react to Duggan and we get a split screen in the noise monitor right into the red on the right-hand side as the crowd erupts for him. Um, Ross says they have a reading and then reiterated that booze count as much as cheers before he asked the crowd to react to DiBiase. There are some light cheers for DiBiase and the meter is back on the screen again, but it doesn't get anywhere near Doug where Duggan's registered. So Ross says the results are in and Duggan got twice the noise. DiBiase says Ross has ripped him off again as he told the people not to cheer for him. Jim Ross protested here and DiBiase says he knows he's a friend of Doug and he doesn't agree with him. And he's going over his head and asks where Bill Watts is. Ross says that Bill isn't there. So Ted says he's going to speak to Joel instead. And Ross says it doesn't matter because right there is the best dressed man in Mid-South. So we get a split screen again as DiBiase confronts, confronts uh, Joel. I thought Joel was in for it here, but well, we'll get to what happens. And Joel's got a smile on his face, which almost made me want like, Ted to do something. Joel's got like a, like a real smug smile on his face as DiBiase asks him if he's going to let that decision stand. DiBiase says he's just like the rest of them, behind that no good drunken bum and that he's leaving. DiBiase, baseball bat in hand, then says to Joel, is that Duggan's car as the shot gets wider? And Ted asks if the monitor is still on. He tells the cameraman to get a closer look Duggan's in there gloating like a big shot while he's taken out of his car, taking out his Duggan's car. DiBiase then smashes Duggan's windscreen with multiple baseball bat shots as the split screen shows Duggan leaving the ring to run after DiBiase. Ted flees as Duggan makes it out there as Joel throws a commercial break. This was tremendously well done from start to finish. This is light years ahead of its time. Um, everything from the split screen to Ross's explanation to Joel outside of the truck to the meter itself, the way they showed that, to Ted confronting Joel and the car. This was pure wrestling gold. And I say that without even the slightest hint of sarcasm. This was a superb angle, brilliantly done, brilliantly executed. And what a payoff after last week. Um, Phil, what did you make of this entire segment? Uh, absolutely. This kind of took Mid-South to another level at that mm. time. During the TV studio truck, you got the picture in picture. A note I made is, why did they think it would take three referees in the ring for a, for a best dress contest? There's three <laughs> officials in there making it making look really good. Um, let me, uh, this was so good that three months later, I was at a match where it was copied. Oh, really? Yeah. This yeah. is about the time I started seeing, you know what I'm talking about? You know what? Um, if you just, I'll take a minute. I About three months after this, 
I got to go down uh, to Dallas for the David Von Erich uh, Memorial event in Texas. I didn't Stadium. know that. I didn't know that. Well, yeah, okay. there's well, a yeah. there's number two, the second one. Not second the first one. one. Yeah, this second was one. the second one. Second one. They had a match, uh, a, a tag team match involving twelve wrestlers. Most of them are on these two episodes we're reviewing today. Mm. Okay, there was it was a it was a it's a twelve man tag, so six men per side. And whoever gives now it's a hundred thousand dollars to the winning team, and I'll tell you who the teams were. But there's a car involved. Okay, so it was, one team was the three Von Erics that were wrestling at the time, and the three Freebirds. That oh, was a team. Yeah, yeah. Okay, the other was uh, was Chris Adams and Gino Hernandez, and uh, they had to throw Rip Oliver in there to round it out. But, you know, uh, Adams and Hernandez are frequently on Mid-South. Had one-man gang, Dr. Death, and Kamala. That was the other six. Mm. So, you know, we've got Death and Kamala and, and uh, some of these guys just in this episode today. But it was a match where whoever – it was an elimination match, and then whoever gave the last pin also won this new Cadillac that's parked by the ring. Ah, okay, yeah. Well, the one-man gang always carried chains around him. So after the match, they lose. Uh, Kevin gives the, the winning pin. Wrestlers are still fighting. So gang's walking towards the car with his chain. And you think you know it's going to happen. But one of the wrestlers and then David Manning, the referee, comes on, takes the chain away, and he's okay. walking away. And they'll show – I've seen it on replays now. I've seen the, the video of Chris Adams sneaks up behind man and grabs that chain, and he beats the car in exactly the same way. Just takes <laughs> out the front windshield, nothing else. If you wanted to do a lot of damage to the car, you would have took – Ted would have took the baseball bat to the hood and the roof, right? Yeah, yeah. But they're just taking out the window, you know. So just take out my window. We can get that replaced, right? So three months later, I'm watching WCCW mimic what just happened on this episode right here. That must have been quite so – that, that, um, I'm just looking at that second Von Eric Memorial Parade of Champions. That must be quite – that was Rick Flair and Kevin, I guess, doing double duty there. And Kerry did it as well, did he, in terms of um, one-man gang of singles matches. So was that that 12-man after the, the those two singles? Was that? Yeah, it that seems to be like it was – I think all of the wrestlers were involved in other matches that day. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they exactly were. Yeah, they were. They were. They were. I yeah, think yeah. they all were. And that was either the last match or the next to the last match. Right, right. Um, yeah. But they all pulled double duty that day. Yeah. Yeah. That must have been quite an incredible experience to be at that, that's, that show at the sort of oh. big Texas Stadium show. Because that was, you know, there weren't, in terms of North American stuff, you had some of the, obviously the stuff in, in New York at Shea Stadium. But actually, Stadium right. wrestling wasn't a massive thing in the early eighties, and obviously Superdome stuff. But it wasn't. Right. It wasn't like a you know. A, 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 I'm probably not putting this in the right way, but as in it, it, you, it was very an occasional thing, and it was occasional by territory, I suppose. Very and rare. It, yeah. Very rare. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, what did you think of this uh, this segment, um, Terry, with the uh, with the car smashing and the electronic monitoring and all, all that good stuff? Just uh, just wrestling gold. Yeah. <laughs> Gold. And I noticed, you and Phil said, uh, I noticed how he was zoned in on that windshield only. Yeah. You, know, <laughs> you know, I was, as Phil's telling his story, I'm thinking to myself, it was easy to focus on the uh, windshield with the bat, with that chain. They probably had to be really careful not to hit yeah, anything. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, because I guess I guess you can replace the windscreen relatively straightforward, but if you're smashing the other bits up, it's not going to be not going to be quite so good as it really, but uh, there we go. Yeah, just I can't. Uh, if you listen to this and you haven't haven't seen this segment, go back and watch this because this was you know phenomenal. One of my favourites from the start. This is right up there with the maybe even surpassed the Magnum CA and Mr Wrestling Two stuff. Um, just just phenomenal. So. And if the show ended here, it would have been a fantastic show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So back from break, Ross said he'd never seen Doug in a rage like that. And Joel looks genuinely shocked by the whole thing, um, which, again, I, sometimes Joel just like, obviously, I, I, he like is, is slightly a bit of a figure of fun, but then he does incredible videos. And sometimes on commentary, he's so good. So obviously, he's a kid and he's learning. But his facials here were phenomenal. Like He was like... 
he he looked. I mean, maybe he was actually shocked by it. All. I don't know because yes. you know, knowing Bill Watts, perhaps Joel didn't know what was going to happen. So perhaps it's all a surprise to him as well. But he was he was great here, and he said he's he's heard of sore losers before, but DBS he takes the cake. Um, Paul Brown and Blue Demon up against Terry Taylor and Iceman. Um, but before they can get going, Jake Roberts interrupts, and Snake says that Taylor wasn't ready last week, but he's ready now. And Robert says he's got a nice tan. So what is he doing? So basically, Taylor's like, there's nothing wrong with him. Um, Taylor says that the contract for tag match was signed already, but he will accept Robert's challenge anytime. Robert's ends saying he doesn't turn his back on someone he's afraid of. And as he walks off, he turns his back on him. And um, Iceman won this in 118 with a clothesline off the ropes, um, which if I'm completely honest, I, was, I missed because I was looking up if this Blue Demon was the famous one from Mexico, who was a long-time rival of El Santo. And the answer was absolutely not. Um, Mr. Demon's physique and this should have been a giveaway, really. I didn't need to look it up. Um, Terry, what did you make of this short match? Well, more than anything else, this is when, in my opinion, Jake the Snake is really coming into his own. Yeah. And and he's just so good. Uh, you know, a, a talker. You know, uh, I think we alluded to a while back about his pajama-like bottoms. Um mm. You know, but but that, that that to me was the highlight, and and you know, it makes you, if 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 your local arena was about to have a Jake the Snake Terry Taylor match, you, I, I was buying a ticket to that. Time. Yeah, wanted to see that for sure. Definitely. Um, Phil, what are your thoughts on this uh, this short Phil, Paul Brown and Blue Demon versus Taylor and Iceman? Well. Uh, you know, I don't remember Paul Brown or the Blue Demon at all. And I know I saw him. I saw it when it aired then, and I've been through the videos two, three times. I did, I tried to do like, uh, I'm very, Dan and I both are doing the same thing when we're doing some show prep. We like to look up on Wikipedia and not Dan, your nephew, but the other Dan. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a joke. Uh, not Dan, the nephew, the other Dan. But I like to look on Wikipedia and I couldn't find anything. Uh, I'm sure there's better websites to look at, but I just didn't have the time. But I'd like to know who that Blue Demon might have actually been if he was someone else. Uh, but, uh, yeah, just not not very memorable to me. No, I think he probably was somebody else and he was just playing this for sure. maybe, maybe a set of tapings. It was, it was somebody else. But he sat, the Blue Demon name I, I recognized. Um, right. I'm, not, I'm not super familiar with Mexican stuff. Um, at all, but yeah, I, you could tell from physique and look that it wasn't it wasn't the but famous. The, the one. blue demon you're thinking of was closer to the year 2000, I would think, and was a big luchador. Oh, uh, that he might have been a long career. That might have been, well, possibly, yeah, it could have been the same person. I, I, because the, the, they, um, there's a lot, obviously, a lot of lucha. Well, like all wrestlers, they go on forever. Basically, some of them do. So it, it could well have been the same person. Or um, I know I know Mexico, and apologies for any lucha experts out there listening to me bumbling my way through this. But I know sometimes they do um, they do a bit like the tiger mask thing. They do kind of reincarnate, I suppose, gimmicks. So it's possible right. that same the same person, a different person, had same gimmick name going forward because they own the gimmick. They're they're popular um, and they they kind kind of try and extend it. I think that's the thing. Can't remember that CMLL or AAA that, do, that tends to do that quite a lot, but one of the two, I believe. Um, so the Guerreros versus the Rock on Express, the tag team titles up next. And Boyd reconfirmed that at the crest of Chavo, there would only be one referee in this match, and that would be Carl Fergie. Ross says that next week, Kerry Von Erich will be here uh, live at the Irishman Hills Boy Club, along with Gino Hernandez. And what says that if they have time, they'll have a video on the Rock on Express plus Dr. Death versus Brad Armstrong, though he did confirm that this match was with TV time remaining. They threw to a break after 3.12 of good action um, and Chavo with a wonderful belly-to-back belly, belly to deadlift-style suplex as we got back into it after the break. Um, solid go-rookie-go chant as Morton was in some peril. Joel says that these two teams are so evenly matched they may run out of TV time again. Um, and then there's a weird crisscross move and then Chavo seemed to deliberately collide with a ref as Ricky had Hector pinned. Chavo then hit a slingshot cross-body block on Gibson over the top rope. A big double suplex on Morton as Gibson struggled to get back in there. The Guerreros got Ricky in a double surfboard before Gibson snuck back in and laid on top of both Guerreros. Carl Fergie then came back to life and the referee counted the shoulders down of the Guerreros inexplicably, even though Morton was being held by both of them. Um, so there we have it. The Rock and Roll Express retained in 7-14. This is a, one of the most bizarre finishes I've seen, but enjoyable match nonetheless. Um, Phil, what did you make of this one? Oh, you know, I'm um, 
two or three podcasts ago when you had me on as a guest, and it was one of the first weeks for the Guerreros. I mentioned you watch the Guerreros. You're going to see something different mm. every match, something impressive. Here you got four great athletes. All these guys are very athletic. They're yes. showing it off. Um, you got to remember at this time, I've, I mentioned it before, but if you go back to these days of, of kayfabe and there had not been any national television shows and submission holds were, were different back in the day. There was a very tense moment when Ricky got that Boston crab. Yeah. That yeah. was always a submission hold. Always, always a submission hold. Everybody, nobody powered out of it. Yeah. Right. That didn't start happening yet. So that was a very tense moment. So obviously he's going to be hurt. Then they're trying to get him in the, in the surfboard. Then they get him in the double surfboard. But the, uh, I'll never forget being a youngster watching uh, Robert Gibson crawl in underneath Ricky on top <laughs> of those guys and pin him. So there it is. There's always something new with these guys. <laughs> it was, it was it a was, great match. It was, it was really good. I, Joe, I, I need to um, have a, have a sit, try and see if there's a Houston wrestling match, a longer one between these two teams, because we haven't got much Rock and Roll Express left, unfortunately. Um, Terry, what did you think of this uh, tag team title match? Yeah, the uh, you know, you guys said it the other day, you know, it's, it's kind of selling me on the Guerreros. You know, you always see something different. Um, the crisscross was a little odd. Uh, th th that was a little, little odd. I had to go back and watch that a couple times. It was, it was kind of, it was almost like it kind of got out of sync. But, but the finish was cool. I'd never seen a finish like that before. Yeah, and uh, I, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, it was it was certainly an interesting one, and I get I guess I mean I do, we do understand that we you know we're we're watching a television show that is, um, you know, is ultimately to drive live event business. So I don't I don't you know if if I, if um if there was a finish like this on a pay per view, then I, you know these days I'm very critical with things um you know DQ finishes and weird finishes and stuff. But this actually is perfect because you the Guerreros have got an out here. It's like well, how is a referee counter when we've got the guy in a submission move? Who's the legal man? There's all sorts of ways out of this. So um yeah, I think um you know that this this was uh this was this was good fun. And I think as I said, I would really have liked to have seen um or really like to see or find um you know a longer match of these of these so we end the show in the best possible way um, a new joel watts video on the rock and roll express and this was set to rock and roll all night by kiss so now it's become a bit of a thing over the last few weeks on mid-south moments um, i'm going to ask you guys where do you think that rock and roll all night by kiss peaked on the i'm going to go i'm not i don't know about the uk charts so i'm going to go to the billboard 100 where do you think uh, Terry, you go first and then phil you go second so whoever Whoever wins gets an imaginary prize here. So, Terry, where do you think this song peaked on the charts? Peaked on a top 100, you said? Yeah, top 100, yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I'm a little biased because I was a huge Kiss fan. Uh, so, I'm going to go with 42. 42, wow. Okay. How about you, Phil? <laughs> oh, I was going to say a lot higher than that. So, I'll just get, I can, I think it's a lot higher than that. So, I'll just, I could go 41 and get, get closer. <laughs> But uh, so I'll just say 40. I, I know it may have to be the top 40. It, I'm way up there. Okay. So there's a bit of a discrepancy here because there's Rock and Roll All Night Live by Kiss that got to number 12 on January the 24th, 1976. However, Rock and Roll All Night, the normal version, peaked at 68 on the 14th of June, 1975. So well, I was uh, going with the version yeah okay. that's um <laughs> not a live album no kiss live kiss, come kiss live, live. Oh, that was the big that yeah it's got to be i think oh, wait, it's I, a... I was going with the normal version <laughs> i think i'm gonna have to give it to, to phil on a steward's inquiry there because it is obviously the same song but so that would have been a live album so that's why it the live one was the so i guess they yeah. re-released it later so that's a yeah interesting one there um did, so did, did you I, I found it ironic that oh, when robert uh, or Ricky Morton was standing over Robert Gibson, who was asleep in bed. <laughs> and he was saying, I want to party every day. Apparently, Robert didn't want to party every day because Ricky couldn't get him out of bed. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. No, it was so good. So we basically, in this, we get some shots of the Rock and Roll Express walking through some crowds. Uh, and they are standing in front of a kind of 80, I said, I put a pop art effect, but it's not really pop art. It's kind of like an 80s kind of effect you get in music videos. Um, then out of nowhere, they're smashing their way around in two buggies in the snow. Just incredible. You know, why not? Bit of wrestling action in there, standing with belts in the adoring crowd. The, the crowd shots in this, again, you're buying a ticket. If you're seeing this, like, 
I want to be part of this. Um, they're in ring with um, Hercules and Steve Williams. And now there's a pink and light blue oval as Gibson is singing in the middle of it and some nice 80s effects. More drop kicks. Cornette facing the cake. Always a classic. More buggies in the snow. And Ricky and Robert are singing along to the music again, which is great. Ricky hugs a young lady. There's shots of the live events again. Um, and then, as you said, Phil, Gibson is woken up by Ricky holding a stereo singing along, which is just about the best thing I've ever seen. Um, basically, the Rock and Roll Express's top party. But I'll, I'll share a thing with you. So when we go on, we call them stag dudes, but they're bachelor parties for you, for you guys. I suppose. So when, some, when someone's getting married, um, at the end of that weekend, it started when we were, um, you know, probably in our mid-20s, the first one got married of like a two-nighter. Then it became a three-nighter, usually somewhere in Europe. Um, and then it became a four-nighter as standard. So... We, it's quite sad, really, but whoever's, like, put the most into the stag do and, like, stayed out the latest and, like, always up for it, no negativity gets voted top party boy of that stag do. So I think out of these two, definitely uh, Ricky Morton was the top party boy of these two, wasn't he? Because he was the one that was just desperate to go out partying again. So I thought this was just a phenomenal video. So, so Terry, first, what did you think of this one? Hey, same thing. You, you know, the, uh, the, those video packages was starting to become in vogue. I remember the Rock and Roll Express and Terry Taylors and yeah. Magnet, all, all of the baby faces and the, the chick magnets had their videos. Yes. So that, that, yeah. that was cool. It's, I mean, I can only imagine what this must have taken with, with videotape back then. The hours Joel would have had to have spent on this. I'm, I've done like a couple of like jokey videos for like a golf weekend with friends and stuff. And I've spent hours and hours and hours on that on like a Mac with, you, it's, it's like, really, it's easy. You could, you could teach yeah. a five-year-old kid to do it. But imagine what, this would have taken Joel weeks to put this together and, and the timing of the songs and the, and the, and the kind of lip syncing, just, just phenomenal. What did you think of this, this, uh, this video, Phil? It's what, he keeps getting better and better. I mean, yeah, he does. started yeah, he off does. good. He starts off good and he gets better and better. It's yeah, just phenomenal. So that is it for the February 23rd, 1985 episode of Mid-South Wrestling. I thought a strong show, as I said, with one of my all-time favourite Mid-South segments, Pat's my favourite. Um, and obviously we've got this great uh, great match at the end, albeit a slightly iffy finish and then fantastic video package. Um, what did you, any, any final thoughts on this episode, Phil? Just one of the best all-time shows yeah. From Mid-South, as far as I'm concerned, this was a great one to cover and rewatch. Yeah, really, really good. What do you think, Terry? Any final thoughts on this? Yeah, just, just, I mean, just capping up some great feuds. You know, you got, you got Reed and and his old old partner splitting up and and yep. feuding. You tag team feuds going on. You got DiBiase and those guys, uh, DiBiase and Duggan, they heating up, and and now you see Jake the Snake and Terry Taylor about to get at it. I mean, I mean, that's that's four strong feuds right there. Yeah, we got some big. I, I felt like towards the back end of '84, uh, I've said this on the show before. The, the promotion was a bit in transition. The, the Master G thing hadn't worked. Butch Reed was kind of not quite turned yet. Uh, but now, you know, Ted Ted's back. You know, absolutely brilliant. His feud with Duggan, and and we're we're off to the races here, aren't we? And I think '85 was voted best television show by the then Wrestling Observer newsletter readers, maybe 86 UWF as well. So this is obviously going to be a strong year and it's, um, you know, it's so watchable. It's, so, it's such good fun. Right, you gentlemen are going to be back um, next week. So thank you very much. Um, and I shall speak to you all again very, very soon. Thank you very much for listening to the show. If you've enjoyed it, why not head over to Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button follow on Spotify or press whatever you need to where you listen to this show to receive the episodes as soon as they are released. We love reviews at Mid-South Moments, so why don't you make my day by leaving a five-star rating? Also, if you're interested in guest hosting in the future, please do reach out at Mid Moments on Twitter, and I look forward to speaking with you all again very, very soon. <laughs>